Gaming NBS episode 292 being recorded Monday, May 2nd, 2020. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Glad to have you all here. And it's the fourth show. Sean, just so you know. It's the four, May the 4th. Why did I say... Yeah, yeah it says know. May the 4th. Be, be... Come on, Star Wars guy. May the 4th be with you, man. And also with you. I was, yeah. raised, I was raised Lutheran. Right. So, there we go. There we go. <laughs> so, it's May 4th. We're going to talk about low fantasy. Let's see here. Should we just get this out of the way? Uh yeah we, we should we have um, we have one of Cobra Commanders um uh, rejects is on the show <laughs> oh we got Mr Hobbs from Hobbs and Friends of the OSR hanging out with us because we were talking about low fantasy RPG and uh, judging by the banner that he stole from the last convention he was at we think he knows quite a bit about this so this is why he's here hey guys how's it going everyone welcome Mr Hobbs I. I what what's with the what's with the thing? Yeah, what's with the mask, dude? Oh, sorry. I wanted to do social distancing. You know, when you're coming from one podcast to another, we don't want to mix up our germs or anything. But I just got it today, and I wanted to show it off. All the Hobbs and Friends. There you go. I think honestly, if you do, you have a Hobbs and Friends T-shirt on. I do. See, that's like double social distancing because as soon as people see you wearing that, like, I don't want to talk to that fucker, and they just back <laughs> off. Believe it or not, that's true. <laughs> I'm kidding, kidding. That's actually pretty cool, dude. I like that. That's very cool. I've been yeah. wearing this uh, mask for like the last half hour. It's killing me. I was going to say, it's got to be hot and uncomfortable. Yeah, your Ooh, face has well. got to be sweating like your feet. Yeah. I mean, it's always kind of hot and uncomfortable around here. There's a lot of mirrors. Oh, I yeah. see. Anyway, good God. Now we're just digressing horribly <laughs> here. Sean, announcement-wise, let's see. <laughs> Game Con registration. Hobbs, you gonna run anything at Game Con this year in November? Think of running? If it if it happens, I'm running low fantasy gaming there. No, it'll happen in some way, shape, or form. So if they do an online version of it, would you would you run that way? I absolutely would. Awesome. I would be honored to. Very cool. Um, have you heard Hobbs of Count of Champions? That one that's going on? I have. I did not sign up to run anything yet. Yeah, I'm still. It's May 23rd to the 25th. Uh, is, is that one? Game of Cons, uh, just so people know, is uh, November 5th through 8th, May 23rd through 25th. So coming up here in 21 days is kind of champions. Proceeds go to help tabletop events. JT and the team, great group of guys, men, women, helping kind of keep that whole convention scene rolling in a lot of ways. So if you can help them out, do so. Sean, you got any other announcement wise, man? Want to talk about I, anything? I don't offhand, but uh, welcome all of Hobbs Goblins. I think we've been raided, so thanks for everybody <laughs> coming over. Uh, if you haven't heard us before, well, this will be an experience. Well, let's I see hope. how it goes. Yeah. So I think best way to start off a show when we've got Hobbs is to uh, have a voicemail from Kojo in Random Encounter. So let's uh, let's get DM Kojo's oh, word, yeah, word here get- and let's let's move it on. Uh, random encounter. Two, let's see uh, where we feel uh, comments from social media, email, etc. Voicemail from Kojo coming at you. Hey, BSers, it's DM Kojo. Just uh, wanted to call in. And uh, first of all, 
wish you guys uh, best health uh, during this crisis. And uh, I'm doing well, and my family's doing well, so hopefully yours is as well. Uh, I was thinking about uh, the last episode, there was a emailer who had talked about initiative order and some various systems that they were trying. And one thing I've been toying around with, but I have not actually tried it yet, is incorporating the Fantasy Flight Star Wars initiative system into um, D&D or some other role-playing game. Uh, one thing I really like about their system is that when you roll the initiatives and you compare to the other side, um, you know, there's basically player character initiative slots and non-player character initiative slots. And so you rank them based on the initiative role, and then you are able to have whichever character thinks they can be most effective go in whatever PC slot when it comes up. So if a PC slot is first, whoever wants to go first can do that. And then if there's an NPC slot with the next highest initiative role, the bad guy goes, and then you might come back to another PC slot down the road, you know, however it works out. So uh, it's kind of interesting. It makes for a lot of good, interesting collaboration at the table of, hey, I've got something I want to try. Uh, why don't you guys hold back? I know we simulated this in some systems with a uh, player saying, I hold my action uh, until I see what somebody else does, but this kind of removes the need for all that action holding and remembering to go back to people and all that kind of thing. So I haven't tried it. Uh, I know you guys played some Fancy Flight Star Wars, so I want to get your thoughts on that initiative system, applying it possibly to other systems. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. Cool. Thanks, Kojo. You know, Sean, we, we have played both. You've run Fancy Flight Star Wars for me. Uh, Hobbs, have you played Fancy Flight stuff? Yes, but only a little bit. Okay. What I, I'm not... When Kojo went through the initiative, I'm like, yeah, I remember it, but it's been a, a couple of years since I did it. I think Sean and I have been toying with this anyway. We'll probably re- revisit initiative as kind of as a whole. There, it's interesting because sometimes people will have, <coughs> excuse me, kind of like a totally unstructured piece, like side by side, right? So I roll my d6, really old school style. I roll mine. Hobbs is game master. He gets a six. I get a four. His guys go first, or however the initiative you know system works out. And I find that having some kind of structure can be really helpful for some groups, even if it's like, like uh, Kojo saying with PC slots, like, Hey, it's my turn. Who goes where you kind of assigning and doing that can be pretty helpful because sometimes the free for all or banking on the players all cooperate <laughs> appropriately and give everyone a chance to do something can be kind of tricky. So Sean, what do you think, man? Should we, I think we should bring that one back. We've talked about it a bit before we could pull that one back out of the, out of the bin and dust her off. What are you thinking? Yeah, maybe. Initiative, always a fun topic. What well, did you did you bother to listen to Kojo at all? Do you have any opinion? Yeah, no, I like the initiative system for fantasy flight games. I'm sure there's other games that uh, tackle that. As a matter of fact, fantasy, low fantasy does a little bit of a it's not completely good guys, bad guys, but it is very similar in who passes and who fails and then who gets and then you get to kind of choose who to go. Would you take um, the Fantasy Flight one and try it in a D&D game type of thing, or would you do you not see that, that being that portable? No, oh, I would do, yeah. I mean, you I mean, you have to have a method. You can't just do straight-up rolls and then go 17, 18, 
you know, 20, 19, 18, 17 and count it down and then go, oh, I mean, I guess you could. And then everybody that goes, that beats the baddie can choose when they go. I don't think that's a big deal. Sure. Wow, that was... I don't know. Super not helpful. Thanks. Okay. Um, just because I'm going to make you read the next one, Sean. Pay attention this time. What? Jeez. Matt V <laughs> comments on one campaign to another. Very timely episode for me, gentlemen. We have a couple months left on our current campaign and have been kicking around what to run next and brought up a campaign I had previously ran. We've been running the same campaign, but in a different system. I've already caught myself thinking about a few things that went a certain way in the previous campaign. Hard to go into a uh, blank slate, but Brett was right. That's why I had you read that one. Keep going. What? Bask in it, Brett. <laughs> I am. That's all I got. That's all I got this week. Keep going. It's a new campaign, and this group may go through it in a totally different way. My last group took the good path almost the entire way through, but there are plenty of variables, and I need to be careful not to nudge them towards one path or the other. I already caught myself thinking of one outcome and how cool it would be for them, but there are actually three to five outcomes, and they may not pick the one my last group picked. Yep. I've never, yeah, that's a given. No, absolutely. I have never previously ran the same game twice other than some singles uh, in PFS, Pathfinder Society. I have often ran something after playing it back in PFS. I would notice if I didn't really read the adventure before running it, I'd basically run it exactly how my Game Master previously ran it, even if in retrospect they had obviously done it wrong. (laughs) That's a small problem. That's a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when running on the fly, which happened to me a lot back then. I'd end up doing something just because it was done that way previously, then read it like halfway through and go, oops, if I had more time, I'd try to pick out the good and the bad and see what mistakes they may have made. If we end up doing this, I'll update you in the future and how it went. Yeah, Thanks, Matt. All right, so let's see here. Good grief, my screen's locking up there. So Jared Rasher commented on the same episode uh, 291 last week's. Because our Aoker Adventures League ran a lot of hardcover adventures, we got a taste of local stories um, about how different groups handled similar challenges. One of the AL tables was notorious for making every possible bad decision when they were playing out of the abyss. I ran Storm King's Thunder using Lost Minds of Fandelver as the starting point. I got a blog post about it that I, what I would do if I ran it again. Got a little link to his uh, post out there. I saw some Storm King's Thunder structure and pacing, some spoilers here. So if you're in it or plan to run it, don't. Reviews and discussions about D&D role-playing games and wider culture. I have so many ideas of what I would do differently, including the order of resolving the plot of the adventure. I loved it, but it kind of fell apart towards the end and lost some clarity. While not published adventures... I started two Star Wars Age of Rebellion campaigns where I would love to start new campaigns within the same setup. One campaign was the PCs going undercover as military contractors at an Imperial shipyard trying to sabotage the whole shebang while trying to recruit local insurgents. Another one has to do with all the PCs starting six months before they enter the rebellion, playing through the first session where the Empire ravaged their planet and skipped ahead six months with him already in the Alliance. I had to watch Brett's recent Avalon one-shot because... Uh, I was also a former Reverend Cat. <laughs> That's true. He did play Reverend Cat. And can attest that my Reverend Cat, cleric of Hermes and matron mother of the street urchin runners, was definitely different than the others I saw. Cool. That's good. And yeah, so when I, that reference there at the, the tail end, as I was saying, I ran that, it was an adventure I ran 
or a PC or uh, that had been reused. It's always interesting to see how, as a point of fact, you know, when people come to a campaign that you that you've done before, you've run before, or if you're running an adventure you've done before, um, somebody grabs on that NPC and they play them drastically differently than the last person did. And you can learn a lot from your setting if it's like a homebrew thing or whatever, and you put it out there and like, holy shit, that's, uh, I've never seen anybody pray, play a priest like that before in this setting. Interesting. I guess those exist now. That's kind of cool. So cool. Sean, you got anything more on that one? Are you ready? No, not All right. another one. You can, you can have the next one. Gabe comments on episode 290, weapon damage. This was a pretty great episode, guys. Good pick, Sean. Hey. Or. Sorry. Or should I thank Hobbs? Oh, little little thunder stolen. <laughs> little thunder stolen. I'll have to pick up. I'll have to look up Hobbs's show. Oh, see, we do pay off Hobbs. <laughs> we take, it's go. a it's a long it's a long investment. It's, it's but it long. It's, you know, two point five percent interest, man. What do you expect? Uh, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, if uh, if he spoke about this recently, but here are some thoughts, possibly engendered by hearing Hobbs is talking about this some other time, possibly from OSR articles from Smoldering Wizard or somebody. In original white box D&D, all weapons did 1d6 damage. That's right. A dagger did the same damage as a longsword. Realistic? Probably. I have heard someone argue pretty convincingly that a knife cut is a knife cut. Its efficacy efficacy is all in how a weapon is used. And it was this episode that caused a eureka in me, a pretty exciting one. What if that is what should be done? All weapons do the same damage, maybe, because tell me how you're doing it, how you're using it. I think different weapon damages is definitely preferred by players, but I would love to game in a narrative slash descriptive manner with D6 damages. Incidentally, in original, all hit dice were D6 too. Correct there as well. Yes. Absolutely. I think so. What he's talking about, what Gabe is getting at there is saying, hey, it's D6 damage, right? So we're playing Hobbs' game master. I roll my D6 damage. If I don't add any narrative flair to what I've done, I'm trying to hamstring the orc leader. I'm trying to stab the bandit in the eye. He might be like, okay, cool. Um, D6 plus two on that one. Or I'll give you an extra D6 or half or whatever the case is. So. Yeah, I get that. I, we've talked about narrative combat a number of other times, and I think that would be an interesting flair to add with it. Probably have to have the right crew or at least try to set some kind of boundaries. Or, you know, what, what equals this type of description equals a plus one or this type of description equals that. Because depending what group you're running with, if some people aren't very narrative bent, they're more, I'll say the phrase power gamer, well, that's probably not 100% accurate. But you got somebody who's used to a number system like hey this does d8 this does this this does this and they're like well how do i make this how do i make this longsword do longsword damage i could see that argument coming out so it would probably take some practice for some folks to get used to doesn't mean it can't be done or and it would be cool might take a little bit of practice but i think the end result of that could be pretty darn slick so that's kind of neat that's a neat idea yeah Hey there, gentlemen. First things first, I do want to say it was a pleasure meeting you both at Game Hole Pat this past year and hope this season is treating you well. Uh, that said, I have a question for you both. Uh, we'll include Hobbs on this too. Uh, when, when one of my 5e campaigns I run went completely off script, I found myself scrambling for content only to discover that my players wouldn't bite on the adventure hooks for anything I had planned for one night. 
From that point on, it's been both tremendously rewarding and profoundly tough to prepare for whatever comes down the pike. Mercifully, I've been able to keep things coherent so far, but my question simply put is how do I balance using books and written adventures with sandbox play without resorting to more railroady methods? I love how most of the Watsi books have a good balance of places to go and things to do uh, before things kind of weave back into the center to finish the narrative they're telling. Any ideas? Love the show and wish you and yours the best. Good gaming, Jerry. You know, Jerry, one of the problems I think you're running into there is that you can't, not that you can't, but what you've planned and what you lay out there, even if you were to say, hey, look, I've got this, 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 these 16 different things. You're like, hey, they're probably going to, oh, fuck, they went over there. <laughs> you know, if they're not biting on, and you're not going to have 16 things. God, that's a lot. Three things, four things, that could even be a lot. It can be, it's super hard to do, right? I think potentially an option would be, um, again, off the top of my head here, is that if you have an idea and you're playing D&D and you're like, well, there's the there's a dragon over there and maybe they'll go go for the dragon. It turns out they don't want shit to do with a dragon. They want to go after griffins. Change the dragon to a griffin. You can reuse the thing by changing the MacGuffin. You can reuse the module, the adventure, or whatever you have by swapping out one baddie for another, right? So if they don't care about orcs, they want to fight goblins. That's pretty simple. Orc lair becomes goblin lair type of thing. And if they want to go after the bandits and they don't care about the orcs and you didn't even have bandits in it when you started, you can do a similar thing. You can flip flip the script on the hot, on the orc component and turn them into bandits, changing different pieces and parts. Sean, what do you think in there? Anything? Yeah, I think you could do all that. I don't yeah. I don't I don't disagree. I have nothing more to, to to add for value on that, Brett. You serious? Yeah, no, I think that's good. You just you just hand out train tickets and people do what they do, huh? No, no. I think that if you you did what you mentioned, that would work. All right. Hobbs, what would you do? All right. So, I just so happened to have recorded another episode of Hex Talk yesterday and we talked about this exact thing when you're running a sandbox and you don't have the information or the thing that you want to do and they're not interested in any of your hooks. There's tons of little products out there that you can get and just have sitting next to you that you can actually run right right out of there. You don't have to prep that much. And even if you have to say, hey guys, you've gone somewhere that I wasn't planning on. Can you give me five minutes to, you know, look at this and set it up for you or whatever. And then you can just take off. There's a lot of great ones. Um, we would say good vanilla things so it won't break your setting. It doesn't have anything inside of it that you're going to have to rewrite your entire setting or your whole campaign about. Like, you know, one-page dungeons, um, uh, five-room uh, five dungeons, um, Gabor Lux's uh, Fomalhaut magazine, um, uh, Layers uh, from uh, Simon Forster. All, there's actually a good one from Steve Grodzicki called Adventure Frameworks that does the same thing. Uh, I personally, I wouldn't change the dragons into griffins. I would just put griffins somewhere else in some lair that I had laying around uh, because I want the players to be able to have that agency to choose. Because if I 
you know, but it, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being just adding the dragon wherever it is in the other place if they don't know where it is. Uh, but I don't, yeah, I don't like switching that up. And I like the players to be able to make uh, informed decisions about what they're going to do. So I don't want to have to, you know, if I'm just going to change it anyway, then they don't have any agency. So I'm going to want them to be able to have it inside of a sandbox. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true at all. Okay. But okay. All right, let's fight. Fight me. No, it's just so well, I take. No, what I'm saying is what, what I'm saying is that they want to do something. So if you say, "Hey, um, I'm going to use this adventure," um, however you want to do it, you're reskinning a thing, you're taking a thing, and, and making fit because they decided to go somewhere. I think I love your advice though because there's tons of really kick-ass ideas out there, and one of the other pieces to this is. It's reading a bunch and not everybody has time for this. And then going through and saying, wow, you know what would be really cool? This is a neat dungeon. So on my iPad or wherever, I've got dungeon maps just ready to go in case I need them. And that's an experience thing that I've learned that works for Brett. Like, hey, I keep this shit handy. And sometimes, <laughs> excuse me, it's as simple as I keep monster pictures handy because sometimes they're like, hey, I wanted to go deal with X. I'm like, uh, I need something. Oh, this is inspirational to me. And sometimes just the, the inspiration piece and for the quick and dirty to um, to say, well, you know, there's a potential to do this. Nobody knows what the Dragon's Lair looks like. They just know there is a dragon. You can take the Dragon's Lair, retool it for the Griffin, put it in a different mountain range. The dragon's still there. You'll just rebuild the dragon by the time you get there. But what we're talking about here is keeping your options open and however it works for you is awesome. Yes, but you're I don't. I I didn't mean to say that it was a bad, wrong way of doing it at, at all. And he, everyone should do it however they do. And I was really trying to get your goat, just like nice. you're trying to get mine. So. <laughs> but I think I, it's interesting though, is because if it's a lot of it's experience driven, like what's working for you. And if you find that when you show up with four preset, well defined things for people to do, and they don't bite any of them, they want to go somewhere else. If you have sketches of things. And sometimes this is where you get to reuse some of that wonderful, cool shit you did the last two campaigns, right? So I'm positive that if I were to run a D&D game right now and I wasn't, and somebody went off to do something, I'm like, okay, I need a shit. I'll, I'm going to do a siege. I do tons of different siege type of ideas. You're trapped in an inn, something couple. You're in the, you're in this place, you're in a dungeon, there's a siege, you're trapped in a room. You know, it, it's a reusable thing. And there's nothing wrong with doing that stuff, especially to keep that evening going. If you've got a dungeon that you've used before, maybe this group has never seen it, or you've read this one, it's a one-page adventure you thought would be pretty freaking cool, you know, having that stuff handy is kind of like the old-school card catalog, right? You just whip through the th index cards go, oh, thank God, I have a dungeon. Hey, oh, Brett, they, they went to the mountains, what, I got one, what, you know. What's a card catalog, Brett? Um, I can't get them anymore <laughs> because the Misdirected Mark guys bought all the goddamn card catalogs. They just they bought all the index cards, everything. It's terrible. See. Uh, Inkwell adventures that yes, Joe I've, I've picked him a couple of those over the years he has them as well and he's making more he's also the guy that does hexographer and worldographer that's right so those type of things pdf wise if you're if you're cool on pdfs or hard copies if you, if you got to have those you can print them out or whatever but you go to your drive through rpg and you can find a lot of really cheap small things that can be enough inspiration to get you started right I think the trick can be sometimes, and without Jerry here to bounce this off of him, is like, you know, do you feel that in order to have a really nice kick-ass rewarding session, you have to have the whole thing planned to a certain level of detail that makes you comfortable? And if that is true for you as a game master, 
you, you need to decide what's the minimum I need to be comfortable. And that way you can have a stack of the minimums next to you without having to go all, I guess is what I'm saying. And sometimes, you know, you start with a minimum thing. We go, Hobbs is like, all right, pulls out the inkwell idea, throws it down. And we're three hours into a six hour game session that night. And he goes, you know what? We're done for tonight. Cause this is all I got right now. We'll pick it up next time right here. And there's no reason you can't do that type of thing too, from like a time management and also your sanity management. So, yeah, then you get flux out and you still have a great time. As long as you have fun, that's all that matters. Exactly. Sean, that's the, that's the lesson. I think that's that totally the lesson. And break. Right? We're done. Thank you. Show. But it's right. Yeah. Hopefully, you got something out of that, Jerry. Damn. 292 takes. We finally cracked that one. That's awesome. <laughs> that's good. No, seriously, I, Jerry, if that doesn't help or if you have more. Not that you want to write up a shit ton of detail, dude, but if you want to come, hey, I've tried X, Y, and Z, and this isn't working. And if other people have ideas and, and uh, thoughts out there, Hobbs gave some good ones. We've got other BSers who've always had some really good feedback for us. So if anybody else has stuff that could help Jerry or anybody else who's in that predicament, what is it yet that you're doing in a sandbox type of setting to prepare for the inevitable, they did what now? It's going to happen. So how are you prepping for it? If you've got ideas and advice, let us know. We got them. We'll share it. Yeah. We'll share it. Totally will. We're good people. Let's get to the main topic so Hobbs can talk some more. Yeah, I can let's do drink that. Drink more beer. All right. Main topic. Main topic. All right. Hey, we're talking about quilting this evening. Thanks for joining, everybody. <laughs> exactly. This is my quilt here. Look at that, Low Fantasy Gaming by Pickpocket Press. So this started because Sean played in a Low Fantasy Gaming game with Hobbs at Virtual GaryCon, correct? That is it. And I asked him, was it fun? He goes, I don't know. I don't remember. It was, uh, it's a Hobbs game. No, I'm kidding. He said it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's cool. I read a bit about it. It's one of those games that's on the, on the list of shit for Brett to either pick up, read, sort through. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go. I'll go get the the version that's on drive through. Throw them little. I think it's. I think. I think it was pay what you want. I can't remember. I threw some some money at them because I feel like a a dick not paying not paying for a full free. game system. If you yeah. get the there if you get go. the version Hobbs is holding up the original version, which we'll have a link in the show notes. It's pretty cool. So I buzzed through it and I'm like, huh, this is pretty interesting. And much like Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyperborea, I read the rules a couple different times. Like, ooh, this sounds great. I've not played it. Sean has only had a passing connection with low fantasy gaming. You're like, Hobbs, that's a dude. He's a buddy of ours. He loves this game system, as you can tell by the banner. So we figured, hey, let's get somebody on here smarter about this than we are, not about other things. <laughs> I but fought it and fought <laughs> it. And <laughs> and <laughs> fought it. I fought it and I fought it and I fought it some more and finally caved. Fine. We'll have Hobbs on the damn show. All right. So, Hobbs, I'm going to start grilling you. You ready? I am prepared. <laughs> so when I look at this, and some people are going to say, is this an OSR game? As an OSR guy, um, I think between the three of us, we all play plenty of OSR. You play more than I do um, currently anyway. So do you, within the OSR genre, do you think it fits that kind of the, the do-it-yourself mode, that whole kind of rulings over rules piece? Does it fit that for you? For me, probably not, but you know, I'm a grognard and I'm going to say, it, I feel like it really rides that line between old school gaming and 5e modern gaming in a, in a great way. 
So would you say that it's kind of, I've heard that same argument about Dungeon Crawl Classics from other people in the past. Would you say it's it's in that same, it's in that same, it's got a good Grognard OSR feel, but it still has enough new stuff to it? Yes, I would actually say it takes the little bit of new stuff in DCC and expounds on it. Okay. Okay, cool. So if you're an OSR person, this is going to have some interesting stuff, but it's also not so back in time, if you will. It's a horrible phrase, but right. If if you've played 5e and you grab this, it's not going to feel like, oh my God, there's no skill system. Where's this thing? A lot of, and I shouldn't say a lot, but some of the things you're used to in certain quote unquote modern games is is here, but there's enough homage and whatnot back to the uh, OSR components that it's got a bit of that too. It definitely feels like an OSR game that it's got that uh, ambiance or the aesthetic of it is trying to make you think of Appendix N stuff. Okay. So, so. When I pick this up, I'm like, okay, I do a quick thumb through and I'm like, wow, this is, this is a system. And it specifically calls out that there's no setting. It's, it's a frameworky type thing. This makes me think of, Hey, like, like the, the midlands and the, or that type of thing. So how do you, when you run this, does, does that seem as a detractor to you? You'll go, ah, no, I'll just, I'll just use this for Kalamata uh, or I'll use it for this other setting. Do you see it being able to kind of slap into whatever setting you want or how do you how do you use it when you're doing it so i'm going to tell you a quick little story the way that i found low fantasy gaming um i was looking i like looking at settings and seeing what i can get from settings and i found a setting called the midlands which i think confused you you were thinking of midlands yeah I, I, totally, I, saw, I totally said midlands sorry i, I saw it and i, I said midlands because yes. i had the green book in my head the midlands so you had that so this book came out after low fantasy gaming the original version which is what steve calls it who's in the chat which is pretty cool i think uh but uh uh, this is the setting that i liked and most people that i hang around with that they say that this game is not a low fantasy game the setting isn't a low fantasy no the game system the game system isn't huh but if you take it from where steve took it when he created this game is he was playing 5e and wanted it to be less fantasy or less epic fantasy or less the D genre and draw it back and so that's why he called it low fantasy gaming but if you compare this to you know a bx or something like that it, it's not necessarily going to feel less fantasy than that is but if you compare it to 5e definitely less it's more gritty uh i mean isn't that what he calls it so it's some, some i think when we get gaming. into i think when we so. get into some of the system mechanics pieces which is coming up pretty quick we'll have a better a better grasp of it because I'm going to agree with you there because there's enough pieces of it like, oh, this feels lower, but this mechanic is not, right? That type of thing. So I get what you're saying. So when you look at it, to go back to the question, then you, that's your setting for it. Do you have, do you see it as a portable thing? Like, hey, I could run this. Yes, absolutely. You could run it anything. So like when I run my con games or my one shots, I allow any of the character classes and uh, let basically just kind of let people do whatever they want to do. Uh, but when I run, I run a West Marches game in the Midlands as well. That is not, that's drawn back. Like I've pulled all the spellcasting classes out. Uh, uh, I've pulled the, I always want to say Arcanist, but that's not it. 
the artificer. I pulled the artificer class out. So those are things that can open up later when uh, those are found during the game. Because even in the Midlands, he says that the gods are gone and magic is prohibited by most of the cultures. Uh, and so the way I did that is I pulled them all out. And then if the players do certain things or find certain things, then that'll open up those classes. Okay, so let's talk, before we get any further then, there is the, the original, uh, standard original, and then the deluxe version. So yep. when I read... The one I have is the original slash standard. And when you're talking about some of those classes, I'm like, huh, that must be in a deluxe version because I have not, I don't see that. So what does, apart from a couple new classes, what else has the deluxe version got going for it that makes you say, oh, that's the, that's the version to have versus the standard or original? Is there something, not, not saying that you're saying one is better than the other, but if, you, if, if I were to prefer X, which one would it get me? You know what I'm saying? Well... I think that the one thing to say that uh, original is better is because it's free and he has no problem letting it be free. If you want it, just go and get it. He's got it on his website. Everything is there. You can just get it. And the deluxe is just going to give you more options, more classes, more tables, uh, more information that might've come out in like the Midland because the Midlands came before deluxe. So there's some stuff in deluxe that is not, uh, that is that is in Midlands as well that he ported over. So like uh, hireling information, random encounter type stuff, weather, random weather tables, uh, just like NPC interaction tables. Okay, yeah. So you took you take the original plus the setting stuff, and he made some r cool rules that help fit the setting and so forth. Let's take that, shuffle it together, make a deluxe book that carries all those bits and pieces to it. The deluxe is not set in the Midlands, though. The deluxe is still setting agnostic. It is setting agnostic, but some of the stuff refers to the Midlands. Like, he also has a few adventure frameworks in the back that you can use, and those are set in the Midlands, but they're, they're good vanilla, in my opinion, where you can put them anywhere without much problems. Or many problems. Yeah, and we and it was touched on a little bit earlier about how you could get this for free. A lot of... A lot, there's a lot of resources on the website you can get for free. Um, I was su surprised uh, to see, and and, st and I like Steve's philosophy and just saying, like, man, we just want people to play it, which is awesome. And then if you want the deluxe version, you could pay and chip in, and there's other products that you could buy, so that's pretty cool. just want to say that. I, I felt like I wasn't talking enough, so I felt that I wanted to, <laughs> add, I wanted to add that. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. So. Sorry. Uh... So let's talk about mechanics for a bit. We've hinted at different pieces and parts. When you look at this, is this a, what's the core mechanic? How would you define that, Hobbs? You say, hey, it's a D20 core. Yeah, or... how does this damn thing work, Hobbs? Yeah. So Brett asked me on the show after playing his game, he's like, what do you think, Sean? So is it a great system and blah, 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 blah. But when, so precursor for folks that didn't listen to that episode is that one thing about the game to touch on is that Steve created it at Pickpocket Press to like one of the kind of mantras he put on the website is that it's electronically supported on virtual tabletops. So when Hobbs had the game set up, the character sheet in Roll20, which is what he chose to roll it on, uh, run it on, was awesome. Like it was really well done. It's laid out. It's got all everything done. And you just literally pick what you need to 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 roll. So I didn't have in-depth need to know the rules, right? When it's already kind of in, in it's a one-shot con game. So having said that, when Brett asked me that question, I'm like, well, 
I know some of the rules because Hobbs would, you know, say this is how initiative works. Like you get, you know, uh, what is it? A super. <laughs> He's laughing. We'll get into that later. You know All what right. I'm saying, though. No, no, no. Yeah. So, yeah. Is it so? Is it a D20? You know, how, I mean, how would yeah. you describe the core? So most of the time, you're going to be rolling a D20 for a lot of things. It's got your regular attributes that you think of most of the time. Um, Mostly, I guess. So strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence are the main ones you'd be familiar with. And then he's added willpower and perception. And then another one, luck. This also has a lux attribute. Uh, so most of the time, like when you do attacks, you're going to be rolling a D20 and it's ascending armor class. So you're going to try and hit that armor class or above. Um, but like... Uh, there's to do skills. I mean, I, I guess I don't know how far you want me to go, but no, no, that, that, so that's cool. I think the, so we've got a couple quote unquote non-standard, mm-hmm. like from a D and D perspective, anyway, stats, uh, willpower, perception, Which wisdom, a lot of time wisdom, but some people use wisdom for perception. So really, uh, what isn't there? Oh, wait, charisma is here. I didn't say charisma. There is charisma as well. And uh, luck is even, yeah, it's over here. But so, yeah, the only real one I have is perception that is new. So I think from the luck one is interesting to me because I remember, you know, there's luck from DCC and there's other game systems that have luck. So how does luck function in this one? I guess I'm kind of talking about the, the uh, non-standard mechanics. There's re-roll, there's retry, die pools, re-roll pools, martial exploits, and luck. So let's start with luck. How does, how does that function? All right, so luck is a derived stat. So when you first make your character, you're going to get a 10 plus half your level rounded up. So at first level, you're going to have 11 luck points. And he uses luck for various things. So you could use luck like they do in DCC, where if you don't know who it should be, and instead of making a random roll, let's say Brett and Sean are both playing, okay, who has the lower luck? This is this is who this thing happens to. We're going to do that. But the other thing is, is it's used, is used for saving throws. So every time, you know, you're making a saving throw, I could say, so like if it's dragon breath and you think someone should dodge out of the way, I want you to make a luck check modified by dexterity. So on the character sheet, all you do is a drop down table, you pick dexterity and it's roll under. So you're going to try to roll under that. But anytime you're successful at a luck check, your luck stat goes down by one. Oh, so it's a pool you burn in it. Yeah, it's a resource that's being used. And there's other, you use luck for other things as well as not just saving throws. So that's pretty much what luck is for. And it's it's another resource, right, that you're using. Uh, and it's going to go down. So the more you succeed at it, the more your luck is going to go down. So one of the other things that uses lux are these martial exploits uh, that are talking about. So he has minor exploits, major exploits, uh, rescue exploits, and then party retreats. So this is kind of like the Mighty Deed in DCC. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. I read that. I'm like, oh, this reminds me, the fighter's Mighty Deed. Oh, I want to knock the guy off the cliff. I want to trip him. I want to do, you know, a, a big whatever the case is. Yeah, And you define the thing, roll the dice. Yeah, if the narrative, if you, that's the first thing you're going to have to do is define it narratively. And then there's some other, you know, game mechanics that have to be like for a rescue exploit, you have to be within 30 feet of whoever you're trying to rescue. And you can do it outside of your turn which is another cool thing, which allows characters to be more survivable in this game. So Sean is about to get chopped down uh, by Hassan with his giant two-handed falchion. And Brett is like, oh, no, I'm going to run over there and knock him out of the way. Okay, are you within 30 feet? Yes. Does that narratively work? Yes. All right. So you have to make a dex check. And if you're successful at that, this would be a skill, right? But you're only you're defaulting to dex. So it's roll under. 
uh, if you make it, nice. Now, if it's a uh, with a rescue exploit, now you're going to have to make a uh, luck check. And then I could say modified that by any of the, the seven attributes. And then so that's but if it's lower, then it's going to be less and less. So in the beginning, you can do a lot of rescues. You can do a lot of saving throws. You can do uh, major exploits. But as that resource goes down, it's going away. And if you're using that, now when it comes time for you know you to make a saving throw from the save versus death at the spider at the end of the fight, oh shoot, I used them all on rescues and uh, major exploits. Now I'm in trouble. Yeah, so you got to uh, you got to pay attention to that. Okay. So the other one that I noted the reroll pools that one kind of threw me a little bit. Not, not threw me, but I went, huh. So how are those working? What's the what's the purpose to them from your perspective? So there's a few things that you can do reroll pools for. And to be honest, I don't have them memorized, but uh, it ties into skills. Okay. So what skills are in this game is, is you have your attributes and then skills use those attributes. But if you have the skill, you just get a plus one to your attribute. So if we're talking stealth and the attribute is de- is dex and Brett has a 15 dex. Well, so when I say make a stealth roll, you're going to get a 16 and you have to roll under. Which okay. is actually kind of cool because one of the one of the things I liked about how I used to run, and I know a lot of people did this with like BX and stuff, is like, well, roll under your decks, roll under your strength. It's all, and this is very codified to the fact that it's always roll under your stat number. And these skills just modify your stat number either up or down. Right. So that I, I like and that. It's very simple. If you have the skill, you can use your re-roll pool to re-roll it. If you don't have the skill, you can't. So Brett Brett has stealth, but Sean doesn't. You're both making stealth rolls. You fail your stealth roll, your roll, but you can use your re-roll pool to re-roll it. But Sean can't because he doesn't have that skill. So he can't use his re-roll pool for that. And uh, you get one point per level in your re-roll pool for the session. And he uses long and short rests, but they're uh, more extended and a little grittier than they are. <laughs> he says, since it, this is nice that he's in the chat. He's, in the <laughs> chat. he's probably wondering skills. why the hell he's not on the goddamn show. <laughs> but I didn't know that guy. Anyway, yeah. keep going. Skills, luck, rolls, and uh, all dead or mostly dead tests. Which will, and there's also some uh, unique features or some class abilities that allow you to use your reroll pool for other things. Like if if you're a if you're a cleric of the war god Graxius, then you can use reroll pools. You can use your reroll pool for combat rolls, which is okay. pretty cool. So, so I can't so I, I hear that and my first level is like, huh, that it reminds me of an advantage disadvantage, right? From five E. Like, oh, if I was proficient. More in like thing, inspiration. Well, it's similar to that, but I could also see because he's giving me bonuses, rolling two D twenty and take the highest one is essentially a reroll. Well this uh, you, game uses rolling. advantage as well. Yeah, I know. So that's that's where I'm like, it's like, wow, that's interesting. And then there's advantage on top of that. So that's kind of yes. cool. So, so is yeah. it is this game using advantage the same way a five E advantage is from your perspective? Or what's the do you see a difference? Uh it pretty much the same way. To be honest, I don't even know if I've tapped into advantage and disadvantage that often. Uh the most time I use advantage and disadvantage is uh, like one of the combat things you can do is charge. And if you charge people, uh, if anything attacks you, they attack with advantage. So that's one way that I think, but I can't remember too many times. Like if someone has a skill for something, like I may not even make them make a test. So like Sean, like the stealth role before, oh, you're so quiet. You're, you know, you're wearing perfect armor. I'm not even going to make you take a test because you're more proficient with this, obviously. But Sean's still going to have to, and it's going to be a dex roll. And you can't use your reroll pool. 
So it's it's got a lot of different like nuanced uh, things that affect what's going on. And when I say that it's more, it can have some story game elements. When you're doing these uh, martial exploits, the well, the, player, na- the narration's important. I mean, if there's like right, they're I, in charge I, of narrative now. I hit them really hard, dude. That ain't gonna cut it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I wanted you double damage. That's that's not how we do this. <laughs> That's exactly. how I, that's how I'm seeing it. That's 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 lame. That's weak sauce, right? There's got to be something mm-hmm. more to it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it does add that narrative element to combat that a lot of other games could be missing, like an old school game. A lot of times, uh, I always say that that stuff is all is there and has always been there, but it's really up to the GM and players how they're going to use it. This actually gives you a codified ruling to use it. Yeah, like the Mighty Deeds component, right? It, it gives exactly. you a thing that says, look, mechanically, this is how you do it in order to incur this thing. We've talked about this before. Whether Can you game master over above through a rule system you don't like or something? Yeah, of course you can. But there's a rule system out there. This one is telling you this is the type of game that the author and the people playing it want to play, right? This It's informing the type of behavior that you're looking for at the table. So I buy that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh, I don't think I talked about like party uh, esca- retreats. So he's got an actual system that you can do a party retreat with. That was and pretty so- cool because normally it comes down to, you know, Sean leaves, Brett debates, so on and so forth. But having a the whole party does a thing in mass where you kind of as players look at each other, fuck it, we retreat. How yeah, does that a work? Way to get out. So yeah. because there's no like we talk about, I know you guys talk about this encounter balance. Mm-hmm. And so like and if you're playing a BX and the uh, creature that you're fighting has a better movement rate than you have, you're pretty much fucked. Yeah, you're <laughs> right? dead. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to run <laughs> it's you over, down. Right? You can yeah. run. You can say I'm going to run all I want, but unless you can figure out a way to slow them down. And that's just another thing where uh, players can use the environment to try and make that up. And then in BX, say it has that, uh, they have that whole chasing type of, I can't remember what, it's kind of a weird matrix depending on the number of people in your party versus the number of people, whatever. Well, in this game, all right, you just say, all right, yep, we're going to retreat. And then you make a roll. If you fail the roll, you didn't get out. If you make it, then you did. And so whatever's happening can keep on happening to you or however the GM really wants to to run that, you know. But, but then you've got a mechanical mechanic. thing that says success, failure, as opposed to argue, argue, argue. Look, the dice landed, man. This is, this yeah. is what it is. It's an empirical yes or no type of answer. I like it. Um, and it also uses when you talk about the how successful is the die roll. So it has total failure and then it has great success. And this is what Sean was getting at. So there's a couple different initiative ways. In the old way, I don't even know how it's done, to be honest. But in Deluxe, all you do, I think that one of the he has like five different ones. The one I specifically use is you just make a dex check. So and if you succeed on the dex check, you go before the monster. So okay, so the monsters you you don't roll as game master. You're just like I'm waiting for the players to see. Yep, who, roll goes, who goes first, either yeah. me or them. Yep, just roll initiative, and then like the great success is. So if you're say your dex is 16, a great success would be half of your attribute. So if you rolled an eight or less, you'd have a great success. But if you have a total failure, that's even higher. So like say your say your dex is a 12, so great success would be a 6. Total failure would be a 15. So it's ha- it's you know 1.5 or whatever. But if it's above that, now it's a total failure, so that's like even worse. So whatever happens, it's just a way for you to like varying success or um how successful you are. And like there's boss monsters and boss monsters you have to have a great success on your initiative roll to go before they do. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so you're not, it's not, 
versus you you go against yourself right it's kind of yeah yeah, yeah it's not an cool. opposed role it's right. a player facing role really yeah yeah because the the monster basically is static it's like look you either go in before me or after me says the right. monster yep. i'm just i'm just waiting for you to figure out how good you are <laughs> yeah. i thought it was and it ran very smoothly i thought i mean and even so running a one shot for hobbs and explaining that it, it was pretty easy like Hey, here's the deal. And if you run, if you run it on roll twenty, you don't even know what to. I didn't even need to know what that was. You just click the button and off it goes. Yep. Yeah, you click the button and it would say, "Great success." Oh, or success, failure, or total failure. Right, right. So, yeah. Nice. Okay. So, all right. Yes. So, any other mechanics that you want to call out that are like special or non-standard or different, unique, whatever other euphemism we want here? Anything that you're thinking of that mechanic-wise, like, hey, this is really cool. Uh, I like, I kind of hinted at it before was the short and long rests and how they're different than 5e. So the long rest is like a daze. Like this is like you go back to town in between sessions, your downtime is considered a long rest. And that's when you would just get your stuff back or however many points, like you don't even get luck points back until you do a long rest. And then it may only be one per long rest or something. So if you use this up in a campaign, it's huge. I've only really experienced it in kind of the one shot or in the um, in the West Marches version. So time goes by, but it's not the same as it would be in a traditional campaign. But in the short rest, so you're using up your, a lot of the abilities of the characters are like you can use them one per level or whatever, casting spells like for the spell casters or, you know, your luck points or your hit points. What you end up doing is, is you have these checks that you can make. So you get to choose, you can only do a short rest after in a significant combat. So you can't just do them whenever if you feel like it or whatever. And a short rest could be overnight. It could be a few minutes after a fight. It could be however you want to do it GM and player-wise. So you have these checks. You can do one, two, or three checks. And you can only do this once, one each of those once between long rests, okay? What that means is, is you're going to, you don't automatically get the stuff back on the short rest. You're going to take this many will checks to get what you want. And these are the choices that you have. Like you can get half your hit points back. You can get one reroll point back. You can get, um, uh, heck, I can't even think of another one. I like that though, because instead of like, oh, you get, you get everything. <clears throat> yeah. You get everything. Hey, this is like, short okay. Rest, hey, yeah, short rest. Party. You get back this, this, to this. Now kind of in 5e, there's certain things you can't get back until a long rest and so on. Right. But this is, they the, still get a lot though. I mean, I've got my Tomb of Annihilation group, 5e, and they're, you know, play for an hour, short rest. And I'm like, come on, seriously? You guys, like, that battle itself in-game took, like, 10 minutes. You need to change, you need to use the alternate rule, dude. What's the alternate rule? The alternate, the alternate rule in 5e is... Oh, alternate rule. Yeah. You, alternate. You need, basically. <laughs> the alternate rule. <laughs> the ultimate no rule. Fuck off. No <laughs> That's like the ultimate rule. Dude, the ultimate dude, rule. I thought it was the Stop that rule. shit. <laughs> no, the alternate rule over there, basically, you take short rest, make them longer, long rest, or even longer, so on. It's in the G. There's a option for that. Well, dude. yeah, there's all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah, so I really like it. At first, it sounds a little confusing, but it also makes willpower not be a dump stat. If I want this now... It makes a difference, right? Because if you only have an eight in your willpower, now you have to roll an eight or under to get anything back on any short rests. Yeah, and and you get a choice, right? If I get a reroll back or this or that, you're looking at it going, what do I think I need? What have I burned the most on? on More how, player how can I... choice after yeah. character generation, which is what one of the splits that I've always talked about between modern games and OSR type games is, is all your choices in modern games are done during character generation. And then you just... It just plays itself almost after that. Whereas in old school games, 
very little is done at, during character generation, and then you have to decide everything afterwards. In this game, it's a lot of both. You've never played Pathfinder, then, huh? No. <laughs> but that's character generation. I'm considering that no. a new, a modern game. No, no it... <laughs> what? When you're fifth level and you've chosen a different path, you choose all the different components and parts afterwards. That's the whole, most of that game is played after the character's made from a character uh, that's creation. The character generation, the character creation part. But I'm talking about actual gameplay. Actual gameplay. Yeah, like when I have an old school game oh, and my character, so what I don't you're saying have, is, yeah, you want your choices in the diff in a different place. Okay, got it. Yeah, exactly. Your choices are during the game or during character generation. Okay, character generation, character enhancement, improvement, level ups, and so forth. That's yeah. fine. Away from the table versus at the table. Got it. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Different phrase. Yeah, that is, a, that is interesting when it's positioned like that. Yeah, no, right. I like it. Yeah. it. It's a different, it's different, right? Not good, wrong, bad. Otherwise, right. it is different. Yeah, there's I, some people that I are need to be try like, it. that's you awesome. Know, I, I, I need yeah. to try it to see how it works because there's piece of that I really, that I really, huh, I like that. The concept sounds really cool. I got to try it. You know, the other piece about this that through the the free version of it that I that I grabbed was the the whole no cleric component, which is like oh that's kind of cool, and um, I've been talking with with a couple different people about you know a true appendix N, in my opinion, adventures there's no clerics, there's you know, no difference. There's there's no difference. Sorcery, sorcery, wizardry, is wizardry, magic is fucking magic, mm -hmm. and that's just all there is to it. You know, so it's. It's interesting that they, they took it out and then you look at the spell list and like, oh, there's cure light wounds, there's the spell, mm -hmm. there's the healing stuff. It's just all melded pieces and parts in. How does that go over when you do it? Do people like, oh, what the hell? When you know what I'm saying, when you introduce it, do you get a do you get some weird kind of pushback or people So my my particular uh, use of this of this situation is different because I have no spellcasters in my Midlands game, right? So I took those out of that uh, that West Marches portion of the game. But when I run it as um, as the one shots, I have one of each class, so you can pick that if you want to. Um, and I would say he has a cultist, which kind of is more like a cleric from deluxe. Uh, that's deluxe version. DCC. Who's at home? See, I don't even know. I, I don't even know which classes are in which because I, oh, I, 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 I do. <laughs> you do. Anything you oh, listen, at, I don't at, know. Look at anything Brett you, doing some anything research. You list, anything you list that ain't in the book I've been reading, I, it ain't here. So keep going. But uh, the the wizard still had the magic user still has all the casting of clear, cure light wounds and all those things. The cultist is still doing other stuff. I, f I finally had a cultist in uh, the last one shot I ran, which uh, Eric Salzweedel. Bieser, yeah, yeah, played in, and uh, who else? Um, Harrigan, uh, yep. another Bieser played in that game as well. And uh, Eric Salzweedle played, and the cultist didn't really feel like uh, he really felt like more of a holy warrior than he did a cleric. You don't really feel that holy warrior a lot because most of the guys are all they're doing is. Uh, <laughs> Poor Steve. Uh, all they're really doing usually is casting healing spells. Well, in this situation, when you're playing a cultist, that's not your main function. Your main It's more like a specialty priest from second edition where you may not even have healing. It all depends on what, you know, your specific tenets are and what the what's granted from your deity. Okay. I like that. <laughs> so from a class perspective, is there anything else that... No, granted, uh, how do I do this? So... 
in the original free version, there's no clerics, like I said. So we've got cultists in the other version of it. Are there other classes that you're like, oh, this is unique to here or within that deluxe version or the only version you know, apparently? <laughs> uh, no, are there other classes out there? You're like, hey, this is pretty cool because I love the fact that the the magic user has access to the healing spells. That that's the 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 character that's doing the casting, right? The others aren't doing that, from what I can see. So, are there other ones that kind of it's sealed that from a niche protection perspective, it feels pretty well done, from what I've read. You know, where I don't feel like, hey, my rogue is totally stepping on my barbarian, who's stepping on a ranger, who's stepping on a thief, you know, on, on the cleric, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't feel that way at all to me. No, and I haven't had that feeling either in all of the plays I've done, whether they're like one shots or in the in the uh, West Marches game. The Artificer, we haven't really talked about that. The Artificer is a little different. He's kind of like a mad scientist where you can cre have these creations. It could be like a chain sword or it could be like uh, more like an alchemist where he's throwing, you know, these different fumigation bombs. I've never had anyone play one. So, and I don't like reading rules that much. So, <laughs> well, that, that, well, that's why I could, I could see somebody reading that going, you call that low fantasy? Jesus Christ, a chain sword? Are you kidding me? You know, right. that, that's, it's lower. Yes, right? it's lower. And it's not that much different than like a gnome tinker or something like that in a D and D game, I would assume. But it could be any. It could be. It's not affected by the race. And there are races in the low fantasy gaming. And I don't even remember what they do because almost everyone. I only have people play humans, and every class character that I made for my one shot games are humans. But uh, there's different uh, cultures in the Midlands that give uh, you know different aspects of the characters that is, is pretty cool and i mean you can add that stuff it exists in there but uh it feels more like the concept of monsters are truly monsters except you do have the beast men the scorn that exist which are kind of can fulfill all of those other things orcs gnolls it can fulfill all of those you can have them look however you want we talk about low fantasy for me and Sean, I've had this discussion debate on the show before and other people have weighed in. Sometimes when we say low fantasy, people go, ah, low magic is what you really mean there, sir. And we're like, ah, yes, rumph. And in this case, magic is scary. It's not that common. And when I looked at, you know, the healing being the magic, the wizard, the magic user has those spells and so forth. The other thing I liked within the, the free version I was reading is like, hey, look, you know, your potions and stuff, your one-shot, one-use magic items, those you're going to find more often than the, you know, plus three flame tongue blade. That's not common at all. You're going to find more one-shotty type stuff. Is that how you're, I, again, I have not read the deluxe version. You have that. Is it, does that carry over to there? And is that how it, it plays when you're, when you're running it? Same, same type of feel? Yes. I have not used any magical stuff at all other than like the equipment that comes with the classes uh i have i have not given out any magic weapons uh no wands rods or staves is that, that because stuff. you're is that you're a stingy prick or is that because or is that because <laughs> probably that's both. the feel a little bit of both but what no, and, seriously, and you don't even need it though that's you know, the thing yeah i was just gonna ask you because when i read it i'm like huh it's it's telling you basically when i read it like you don't need a lot of this stuff it would, mm. this, this is, these are fun to have kind of trash keys or there. It's a big damn deal when you find a big thing, but I didn't see parsing through, like I said, the free version. I'm like, oh, there's nothing must have magic weapons to hit must have, you know, plus mm -hmm. two or better. I don't see anything like that. So to your point, Hobbs, you don't really need it. Yeah. You don't need it. He, he does. He did put out uh, the companion book. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. And he's added like masterwork stuff and some different things like that. That is sort of you know you can consider adamantite weapons. I don't know if that's in there, but it's the same kind of concept from other D and D games that use masterwork or high quality that would give you a bonus or something. Yeah, it's a but bonus. It's not magical, but it's finely made or of a meteoric iron or something crazy. So you get exactly. to have a deal. Yeah, got it. Okay. So that doesn't, <clears throat> that feels like that would play in pretty well to the low fantasy feel, right? Where you still, you have fantastical things happening, but this is not, I'm not calling, uh, not, I shouldn't say calling lightning, but I'm not summoning Ifrits. There's, I'm not wish spelling. I'm not summoning, you know, the will of the gods and have this big blast of, you know, turning undead. And some of the epic, if you will, perhaps is a good phrase, some of the, the big bang magics in your D&D 5e and Pathfinder, some of those, that's just not here and you don't need it for how this is working. It does. He, he has like in the deluxe version, changed the name of the spells to be, have more of a kind of narrative flair to them. Like magic missile is called like un, un, unerring leash of pain or, um, uh, a arcane agus is like a shield spell and there's a slumbering type of spell for sleep and to be honest, I haven't seen a lot of that used at this point. So I don't, I don't really, I don't know that deep. I haven't looked that far. Um, but there like are in, a couple of things. I was right. going to say DCC has its like, hey, it, it, it has its gonzo magic components. I mean, charts and lists of, hey, you tried to cast a spell, you turn into a chicken. I mean, crazy, crazy wildness can occur. Flojitsun battles, all sorts of uh, what I would call very gonzo-y stuff. Which is fun. It's it's crazy fun. This is just again a different type of fun, where you're not going to have that earth shaking magic. And if you do have an earth shaking magic, it feels to me like that would remind me of the older sword and sorcery, that original kind of appendix end type of feel. Like yeah. that's the thing I'm fighting. I'm trying to stop the evil priestess from unleashing the horde. I'm trying to stop this thing from happening. You know, blah, blah, blah. That's where, oh, my God, it's it's a big damn deal. And you don't just sit there and go, how come Mordenkainen hasn't just wished him away yet? How, why, why, why do I have to deal with this shit, right? Yeah. So it does have the dangerous, dark and dangerous magic aspect to it, right? So every time you cast a spell, you're going to roll what your DDM is. So, like, it starts at 1. And so every time you say, I'm going to cast a spell, you're going to roll a D20. And if you hit that or below it, then you roll on the dark and dangerous magic table. And every time you cast a spell, that's going to go up until it happens. Your threshold will go up. And then when you hit it, now you roll on the table and some crazy ass shit can happen. Uh, like in the play test for the adventure that Sean went through, it was Tim DeShane, uh, Courtney Campbell. Um, uh, I can't even think of who else. Maybe Larith the Beautiful was in that game. I don't know if he played with you or not. But anyway, there were some guys who played in that, and when Courtney cast a spell, uh, uh, like this demon came out. <laughs> <laughs> Through the veil is what they use. So, and then they ran from it, and then it ended up attacking some other stuff. And But it was, any a lot of crazy stuff can happen on the dark and dangerous magic table. Yeah, but it's all dangerous, right? It's not like, wow, mm -hmm. that was a super huge benefit. I ac I accidentally cast a four times damage fireball. No, you <laughs> accidentally summoned Azathoth who came through and, you know, tore a piece of your soul away or something. So, bad. yes, yes. The other thing that this reminds me of when I, when I think low fantasy and I think gritty and so forth, um, the injuries and setbacks and the way you die in this game. One thing that I... I found very interesting was like, look, if you're down, you check to see if the PC is dead after the fight is over. 
you so you could be lugging around, you know, I could be lugging around Hobbs character's body, you know, for the rest of the fight. Once it's finally done, we go over there and Sean's like, okay, check. Ah, shit. He's dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Nothing I can do. Dead. Now he's it's, dead. Yeah. It's kind of like the roll the body in dungeon crawl classics again, which a lot of people like. And, but when it does, it's not, it could still be bad. Like your arm could have been chopped off or the character is not something you're going to be able to play after this. Yeah. Or, I mean, you've got every, on, on the D20 I'm looking at here on the free one, you've got like eye injury, festering wound, head injury, muscle tear, uh, damaged item, damaged armor there, you know, minor scar system, shock sprained ankle. It's all stuff that's bad, mm -hmm. right? It, it's shit. You've got to deal with. It's not like you, well, thank God I'm not dead. You pop back up at one hit point. You're ready to rock. You pop back up with a problem. Broken ribs. I've had broken ribs. That sucks, right? It does suck. Yeah, it's not it, fun. Everything's fine with breathing. Every, exactly. Yeah, just <laughs> breathing, talking, moving, any you know, looking at people sternly. It all hurts. <laughs> I the other piece I found that I liked about from like again the low perspective, it takes away the high powered magic. It takes away the rapid healing, right? And if you get hurt. Or something bad happens, like hey, there's bad magic stuff that happens, and makes you think twice. Do I do I cast a spell again? My dice have been pretty shitty all night. Do I do it? Well, for God's sakes, Hobbs, why would you do that? Your dice suck. You know, I can see that argument at the table. And when you beat down, and you've been in 16 fights that that session, and the fighter's like, dude, I'm done. I have a festering wound. I got a head injury. I got a muscle tear. My ribs are broken, and my sword's busted. Fuck I'm this! Out of I'm luck. Go, fuck this! I'm going to town. You know, you have a reason to go back. You know, it's it's lower in that regard, which I think is is then speaks back to the title of the game, which is really cool. Yeah, it, it's a gritty. It's a it has a grittiness to it, but it's not overdone from like a a shit ton of critical hit charts or. Um, it feels like it would play very fast. That was a piece that Sean mentioned to me when I asked him about the first time. He's like, how how slow, how fast did it plays, and Sean. You, you said, no, it, it moved along, you know. Yeah, it doesn't get bogged down in a lot of nuance and, and you know, You're, you're not rolling, yeah, in a lot yeah. of crazy tables. So criticals, if you roll uh, 20, you just do max damage right then and there. And it's right on your character sheet. As soon as it rolls a 20, it just puts that damage right in there. So in 19s, I'm sorry, 19s, if you roll a 19, it gives a, like whatever weapon you're using does special things. Or if it's a monster, if a natural 19 does special things. Yeah, that's another, that's a cool point, right? Your natural 19, your natural 20, both of those mm -hmm. numbers have something cool, which makes me smile because that 19 is like, oh, so close to the 20, even though it's just a one in 20 chance every time. But it's still, mm -hmm. you feel like you're right on the cusp. Something cool yes. should happen. I'm so close. Yes, something cool does happen. And I like the fact that when I look at the skill list, which is not a really old school OSR thing with there's no skills, right? Or um, you know, did, a lot of the you know original boxes and stuff didn't have this. But when we start looking at this, it's a it's a short list. And one of the things I like is that the attribute numbers matter. Sean and I have talked about this before, and I know other people have too. Where in a number of games, you basically your attribute stat is just chasing the plus. Right. Yep. So I've got an I've got a 17, so I need two more points to get a 19, and 19 gives me a plus four. Why do I worry about the 17 to 19? I'm basically chasing pluses. Why am I why is there a one to why is there a three to eighteen stat here at all anyway? And we you know, people have argued that. And the reason, you know, that you can say why it is historically blah blah blah, but in a game like this, you need that high stat, dude. If you've got, you know, a 10 dex versus the guy who's got a 16 dex, hey. If you're rolling on a D20, if you're trying to roll under a 10 or under 16, uh, you know, come on, where do you want to be? 
you right. know. Yeah, and just between nine or eleven. I it's mean, a big. It's a big damn deal. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's awesome. I like it because it it puts the those stats become cool. It's not like they're ah, important. My, yeah, they're important. Oh, my charisma is ah, I've got a plus zero in charisma. Who gives a shit? No, dude, you have a nine charisma. Roll under that on a d twenty. Oh, <laughs> that kind of blows. Yeah, I mean, you you realize that, and you're like, I don't want my willpower to be a dumb stat. I don't want any of this shit to be a dumb stat, man. Exactly. Because I have to roll this. This fucking number has to be rolled. It's not just the plus to add to something else. So, no, I like it. I think it's pretty cool. Um, let me see. We talked about skill checks, all the main pieces and parts there. I think when we talked about this at the beginning, just to rehammer on it, we said low fantasy, and you said, hey, it's lower. We kind of joked about that. But I think where the low piece really comes in is in the um, is in the combat, the magic, and not only just spell casting the dark magic, but the prevalence of magic in it. It's ba- If you're using this rule set, even if you get the free version and you're running in your own setting or however it is you're doing it, the way it's designed and set, you're not going to have earth-shattering magics. You're not going to have... You're not going to be looking at your stack of plus one long swords, deciding which one to give your hirelings, because that's just—it's not a thing you 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 encounter. But there's still plenty of fantastic, cool things, and you have enough. You've got luck. You've got rerolls. You've got some really cool ways to keep your person alive, because you can't rely on magic, right? You've got to rely on the kick-ass fact that you're a hero. goddammit. it! So that I think that's pretty cool. It does. That's where the low comes into me when I see the low fantasy. I go right to the what what part about this makes it low and that those it's the magic and the combat, the healing, that type of thing is what really makes it low. That's where the that's where the grit comes in. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, It does have like we talked about those decisions during character generation or after character generation. It does have more of a a three X or five fifth edition feel when your character goes up because every third level you get a unique feature. And you get to choose what that is as long as the GM is down with it. So some of them might be like cross-class things, like you might be able to cast one spell as your warrior or whatever, or it could be something you make up or whatever. There's just a lot of different things. Every third level, you get one of this new unique features now that makes your character different than every other warrior there. Yeah, and that's got kind of that OSR do-it-yourself you feel baked right in, right? It's like, look, you can do essentially whatever you, your game master and your players, everybody at the table, what what fits, what makes sense. Sean and I, our characters have been adventuring forever, and I'm like, look, I think my rogue has picked up some magic from Sean's you know, magic user. And Hobbs goes, yeah, totally makes sense. You guys have been together for blah, blah, blah. I, I buy that. You can have that. It also helps with the game group that you play with, Brad, if they're like the Pathfinder group that likes to, you know, go up a couple levels and ding, and then they get to pick something that makes them unique from other things. And so they can... You hit that tab and get the and get the treat, right? <laughs> you, can, right. you can walk right up and get your food pellet by hitting that, hitting that Pavlovian thing. I like it. And it adds a level of granularity in character generation that a lot of other games don't necessarily have. You don't have this exact path you're going. You can say, oh yeah, I want this to add. So uh, now I want my character to do this. And some of them are not even, they're just like little things that you could add that like other classes might have as their class ability. It's, it's, I think it's just another cool thing that he has codified that like I might have added in my BX game. Yep, this dwarf has become a cleric. So now he's going to be a cleric or he's going to be able to do this one thing. Well, this is just another way that low fantasy gaming is actually codified 
uh, a ruling as opposed to it just being a ruling, not a rule. Now it is kind of a rule, but it's still open enough that you have a lot of room to maneuver inside. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. There's a, it's like, look, here's the thing you can do, i.e. it's a rule. How you impose the rule, how you make it happen, that's on y'all. Mm-hmm. Come up with exactly. how you want to do it. Does it make sense? Yes, my dwarf can cast a spell. Traditionally, they can't. However, crazy thing occurred, I can do this thing now. And that's yep. neat. And that's going to be that tale at your table that only makes sense at your table, which is absolutely legitimate and totally fucking cool. But when I talk to you and I say, hey, this thing happened, and Hobbs goes, huh, dwarfs can't cast spells. Dude, you had to be there because this is what happened. That's that's cool. That's legit. And mm-hmm. it's because of that narration component of it, I, I think, Sean, there's, like you were saying, there's pieces and parts of people who want that, the ding, you know, I want to get those, 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 those kibble, but there's enough narration here that you have to be, and dare I say it, the right mindset, the right approach. It's like, look, you're going to, this is a, this is a very creative game. Gamers in general are very creative, but this is a piece where it's not written down for you, how it's going to work and you need to work on it. Not necessarily the ding. That's not what I was alluding to with some of the guys that you play with, but some of the, you had mentioned in the past that the customization and the so customization on. Yeah. piece. That's what I was referring to more is that your group loves to customize their characters and they like the option pieces. Yep, they want yeah. to tweak it. They want the options. Right. And Optimization. Yeah. It's fun, right? That's, that's, it's fun for that crew. And I think a thing like this is narratively optimizing it, which is to me more fun because it gives me that, oh, thank God. You're, you're optimizing, not just saying, I take a plus, I take a plus, I take a plus. Why and how? And because you have to explain how and why, it makes it much more interesting to well, me. It's anyway. a compromise, I think. Yeah, it's very good. That's yeah. a good. That's yeah. another good way to put it. Yeah, it's a compromise. Neat. Very cool. Is there anything we missed, Hobbs, that you were like, hey, I want to make sure I say blah, blah, blah? So let's start at page uh, five. <laughs> <laughs> and go through page five. <laughs> What, well, what do you think, Sean, from your experience, was there anything, you know, that happened during the game that you were like, wow, this is a cool thing? So the the thing that I appreciated with the system, not knowing anything about it going into it, was that it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't crazy different, right? So it's, it's kind of in a box, Um Relative to other role-playing games, so like if that you played, I am if you used played, to, you play D and D. You could come in, you can figure this out, right? Yeah, familiar enough. Familiar enough, right? It's not radically different. It's not sitting down and playing Fiasco, which I can appreciate, but it's a, it's a complete. It's not that game, right? Yeah, this isn't Fancy Flight with right. funky dice the whole bit. So exactly, and then there are some things that it streamlines that I can certainly appreciate. Appreciate initiative was one of them. Now. Doing a one shot, it didn't give me the depth that I probably would want long term. I mean, I've ordered a copy of it. I'm gonna delve into it and everything. So, but I think with Brett and I, and I think a lot of other gamers, we always look for these rules and we buy different games seeking something. And I don't, you know, whatever that is. And I don't know if it the ever perfect game the perfect the perfect Where is game. It? It's yeah, it's it's like uh, what's the stupid surfer movie from the eighties? Uh, point. Point break. Yeah. Always looking for the perfect wave, right? <laughs> and so um I, I'm not saying that it 
it checks every single box like, oh, my God, I've been sleeping for 20 years. And finally, Steve in Australia came up with the game that I'm looking for. But I do think that it's got a lot of interesting mechanics. I like the low fantasy in its title, even though he may say, well, I'm not sure if that's the right name for it. Um, it, it, it does. So it doesn't get crazy BX, okay, which I think is on one, one end of the scale. And then you get Pathfinder on the other end of the scale, right? And if you want to get something in between that or even like a slight leaning towards BX from 5e, then I think that captures it pretty well. So I think there's a lot of those nuances that you could see where the influences that Steve had were, okay, I'm going to pick a little bit of 5e, I'm going to pick some BX, and then I'm going to pick a little bit of DCC, and I'm going to put that in there and and make it my own and and roll with it. So I, I'm interested to find out when I get the deluxe to read it a little bit in detail about it and see if my group would be interested in playing it. And even if I don't run it for my like my quote my quote unquote home group, I would I'm going to run it for patrons right and see um, be, have it a one shot. I'm also the Midlands setting interests me because it's been a long time since I've run a game where a lot of the monsters are kind of the thing right. Sometimes it's the Big, grandiose, you know, I mean, I've been running Tomb of Annihilation for a year or two years now, and that's wow. different than, hey, you go out and a, a, a lion attacks you, you know, or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or like, Beast Man or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I do I do like it quite a bit. I mean, I wouldn't, Brett and I probably wouldn't be talking about it if it didn't pique our curiosity and our interest yeah, in some There's no capacity. point to bring a game on here and bash on it because what's the fun of that, no, right? The, no, The other thing I thought was, yeah. was we really We tried good. this game and let us tell you how it sucks that's for like three hours. No, Jesus. Yeah, no. no, that's, that's not yeah, us. We get enough of that everywhere else. <laughs> exactly. we're, we're, we're much more refined than that despite our name. Yeah, if you don't like it, just log on to Twitter. You can find someone who hates everything you love. Just, just look around. Who hates yes. my stuff? So the other thing I want to I want to point out is that from a from a writing, reading, and digestibility perspective, it's really well done. The free version I've not read the deluxe. Obviously, I don't have it. However, I bust through this once, and I read it a number of days ago. It's still in my head. Look, okay, I read lots of stuff and I, and whatever, and I, I'm not wicked smart or anything. But you read this wicked thing through, smart. it it makes it makes sense. It's easily referenceable. I got to a point where I'm like, huh, where is that flip flip? Oh yeah, there it is. Flip flip back. It doesn't waste a lot of words. It doesn't have, it doesn't try to be smarter than it needs to be, which it's not an insult. I'm just saying, look, it's telling me what's happening. It's telling me how to do it. It's saying, here you yeah. go. It's a wonderful, the free version is a wonderful instruction manual. Of, this is what I'm trying to tell you how you can run a game. Use yeah, this he's stuff. He's using layman terms as opposed to high Gaxian. Yeah, so he's, he's not you going don't crazy. Your, you don't need your dictionary next to it while you're reading it. <laughs> and uh, I think for rules, that's nice. I would say if I was going to pimp any other thing, it would be the adventure frameworks. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there are, I don't even know, probably 30 adventures just in this. And he also has a patron, which he he puts out one of these a month, just a little framework. And that's what I ran. That Whitestone Tower was one of these. It's like uh-huh. four pages, four or five pages in here. And there it usually is going to have like... Uh, a random encounters to get to wherever you're going, you know, like two or three different story hooks. And then some of the stories are more in depth than the other ones. And he mixes some of them up. Like one of them, you play monsters or one of them might be more like a funnel or, uh, 
<laughs> he keeps saying spruiking, and I don't even know what the hell spruiking is. I think it's I think it's like a shill. Pimping. Yeah, pimping yeah, yeah, or shilling you're, you're, or whatever. You're shilling it but that's out, what yeah. I'm here for, right? <laughs> so, no, no, I might as well I might as well tell you everything. And I know people who don't play low fantasy gaming but still get these adventure frameworks to use for other games because they are that good vanilla feel that you can put in anything and just run it quickly. Like our our man Jerry Garcia, when he's done with the Grateful Dead. He can just grab an adventure framework and yeah, he's, he's, toss he's, never, he's never heard that before. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But so if you go out to drive through and the free version's there, it's free. And as we said, you know, he's like, hey, grab my book, play it. It's 184 PDF pages cover to cover. And that is literally cover to front cover to back cover. It is not 184 pages of reading. It is fast. I digested it really quick. And from a free perspective, this is where I read through and went, huh, you know, I think I want to go browse over to where I can get me a deluxe copy because this looks pretty cool. I think there's enough meat in this free version, unlike other things I've seen that are free. Like, huh, I don't think I do a whole lot with this. I could run a campaign with this free version. I don't need, need the deluxe version. I could absolutely grab this and run a game for a few weeks, a couple months, whatever it took. You can have a damn good time with this thing. And there's, it's free. So hey, how and the it's hell a do you complete game. Yeah, it's not. It's not a game where you have to use something from another. I'm not saying you can't do that, but like Dungeon Crawl Classics does not have any wilderness exploration rules at in it at all. It just no. It just expects you to have the basis of how to do that on yourself. Well, this game has everything in it. You could just read this book and run the game without knowledge of any other games. Yep. No, so, absolutely, absolutely. I, I just want to say because Steve did a really good job at you know we keep saying Steve, but Pickpocket Press and Steve is one of the things that he put out online about low fantasy gaming is when you get to the website and he says like what is it, and he really laid it out in in one two three four five like eight points, simple rules. I won't get into the details. Simple rules, fast engaging combat, dangerous and gritty, quasi realistic world, treacherous magic. Bold adventures, open sandbox, and generic rule set. Right, those are the highlights that I. Which is cool when you're setting out to create a game that you say, "Look, in order, like, hey, these are the things I'm trying to hit in this game. This is what we're doing, and this is why you would want to explore this." I think some people they create a game, but they don't like. This is what I was going for. It, it comes out in play, and it comes out in maybe like marketing material or they put it in a synopsis and drive through. But when you lay that out, like these are the eight things that I want to hit. And that's my goal. It's a, it's a bold right. move too, because when you do that, when Steve puts it out there and says, Hey, look, I want to hit these eight points. Yes. I can judge it and say, you know what? I think it's six, Steve. Like you may have uh, flubbed uh six and two there. That's fine. Right. But I understand what what is trying to be done. And we've talked about this before. RPG books run, they try to tell you a story. They try to, I mean, and they all do this and there's nothing wrong with it. They're trying to get you to be evocative story-wise. They're trying to write you an instruction manual. They're trying to tell you how to run an improv game group. They're trying to tell you how to make your own thing. There's a shit ton of stuff that goes into it. And to state, look, this is what I'm trying to do. That sets my mind and says, okay, this is what this person's trying to do flat out right here in front of me. There's no reason that not not to be that blunt, right? This, it, it seems bold, but hey, this is what I tried to do. Yes, you be the judge. You read it and you say, you know what? I think you I think you missed two or you were close, but I think if this. Well, then, yeah, that's fine. 
but I, I think it's, that's just really cool. I think it's, it's well put together. I like the way I read, I like the way I read everything I'm hearing about how it runs makes a lot of sense. And this is a game I want to try. So this is pretty cool. Some people do say that it, uh, it's something seem more complex than they need to be. That's something that Saul's told me, but he said in play, it wasn't at all. See, that's why you've got to play this stuff, right? And there's nothing. And this mm -hmm. is why when I read, I read it and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I got to get a guy here who's done more than just Sean and I have, you know, Sean tried it once you're running it. And that's more helpful. It's like, you know, when we had, uh, when we talked to Astonishing Swordsman with, uh, Tim, <laughs> with Deshane, that guy we, named we gotta Tim. Get, yeah, we gotta get Tim on here because he loves it and he knows it and he will tell you how it's actually playing because if I sit there and go, yeah, red like shit. I don't like this. Oh, it'll obviously suck and play. Have you played it? No. Well then what the hell you have, you have no, <laughs> in my opinion, there's no point to review the damn thing if you never used it, but whatever. So good job all around. I think, um, from the team at Pickpocket, Steve and the, and the crew, I think it was, it's well done. If you're interested, the nice part is the free stuff is solid. You pick it up, read it. And if you like it, you go, oh, I'll try this. You try it. You have a damn good time with it. Go buy the deluxe. Or you know what? You got 12 levels of play in the free version. Keep, you got a long time. You got a long There's time a, to grind through it all. There is a pretty active community putting out more stuff and it's all free on his website. More character classes, uh, all sorts of things. All those unique features, all those things. So I think Steve mentioned just in the chat quick, I want to just point out Brent Taylor and David Durrett were the two folks that were responsible for putting the character sheet in Roll20. And I got to say, there's a lot of character sheets in Roll20. A lot of them aren't that great. This one was top notch. So uh, those guys should get recognized for that. But Fantasy Grounds said, has one as well. That's they, awesome. Okay. Good to know. Thank Good you. Good to know. All right. I think. That's uh let's roll, man. Well, let's get stuff. into die roll, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hobbs, if you want, if you got something to to put in a die roll, I don't know, last minute if you he already pimped enough up. crap. Die roll two D four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery want to share with you. Of course, we're gonna have links to uh low fantasy gaming on drive through. We'll have links to the website, uh low fantasy gaming website. Third one, dungeon fog online map maker and authoring tool for rpg game masters i didn't know this thing was out there uh seemed like a pretty good tool so i put it out there i don't know yeah so it's like a map um so, so any silver pretty nice yeah i didn't know that either and so when you create it i think you could put like notes so if you put a point on a map you can make a note to that point so that when you're running it you just click on it and it comes up with the notes that's yeah, pretty cool uh steve orlick my son's attempt to create the artificer's rune arm from DD &D online in 5e that's on dungeon masters guild steve's a fan of the show so his son's giving a shot it's like any i think it's like 50 cents it's probably like a single page sheet it's one of those give back to creator weeks for drive through at least at this point in time when you listen to this. Um, so I think a lot of people that are creating a DMs guild, uh, they're putting a lot of proceeds into their pocket during this period of time. I don't remember when it ends, but check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes for that. Uh, the next one, Joe and John Page hit us up uh, via email, a website at Project Full Blade. While the base book is not completed on the site, we do have the make a character pages completed on the site. 
They're also creating an audio series that is complete, uh, available on the site. It's a tabletop role-playing game with its own musical library, which they've composed in-house, which I thought was pretty cool. And so I will put that in the show notes as well. And then the last one is Origins Online. So I don't know... Like Origins is going online, obviously. Oh, that's that's a big damn con. That's but gonna be I, interesting to see how they pull it off. So they were so here's the thing that I have a beef with, all right. He's getting his soapbox. Son right, of let, a let bitches, me, man. Let me, let me this okay, so let's let's sit back and ride this one out, ladies and gentlemen, because everybody else is probably taken off. So the same thing that I have a beef of way about with ga- some crappy game stores. I'm looking at Origins, and it's run by Gamma, right? Yeah. So I go there, and I'm like, oh, okay, Origins Online. I go there. I've got the FAQ link. I'll provide it in the show notes. And I click on it, and it's like, hey, we're going to have an online con, right? Do it because that's it. But if you go to different places on the website, it's as if they're running it in freaking like October or something goofy. So first of all, it yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And then there is a well, there's two dates. There's Origins Online, which yep. is June, and then there's Origins Game Fair October as well. So apparently they're having two cons. Are they, are they Brett? I don't know. They said, that's what it that's says the on the homepage. Okay, so that's what the homepage happening. says right. So if you go to the link that I'll post in the show notes, then it's like, hey, we will know something, and we'll post like badge, badge. That's what it is. Purchasing a badge. You'll go there and buy a badge. but it, Or it says, hey, it says badges are pay what you want. But it says an update will come May 1st. Right? It says that. It says, hey, we'll, we'll know better and we'll post something May 1st. Guess what? It's May 4th and that shit's not updated. But they still have the important dates for the October show. So the <laughs> oh, October well, show, good. event submissions and badge registration. Sorry. So guess what? When you go to event submission, like, hey, if you're interested in running a game for Origins, go here and click on this. And it takes you to a Google form that asks you a bunch of questions like, hey, are you a part of a game group or a DM group? Um, what game are you ra- wanting to run? or And what platform are you wanting to run it on? And I'm like... Dude, just use tabletop events, you tools. <laughs> Seriously, you're going to take all this shit from Google Forms and put it out on a website for people to register? It is going to be a complete shit show. You've heard it here. First, ladies and gentlemen, Sean, Gaming and BS. Thank you very much. Right. It already is a shit show. It, it totally like. is, man. I'm like, it doesn't have to be that hard. Go well, to just, tabletop just events. By click, just by clicking around, it looks like they're actually running two cons. Which is completely possible, but then say that. Like, hey, we're going to have online, and then we're going to have an inf- – I think they're I holding out for October. about stuff here. So let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, just I was like, oh, Origins, <laughs> online, cool, online. Yes, that sounds like I will run events. Okay, cool. And then I started looking into it, and I'm like, ugh, this is like chewing we can, dirt. We have a longstanding um, – uh, thing Fuck. Hobbs, where we complain about game stores and conventions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hate I it when <laughs> shit is effed up and it doesn't have to be. Because you know why? You know why I get this well, is the guy. Who's, this is the guy who started the show with happy happy May second. <laughs> May, yeah, May second, May the fourth. The reason I get burned up when I get like this is because I've got such a love and passion for the hobby and gaming conventions, and and I just love it so much. 
And when people totally F it up for no goddamn reason, it just burns my ass to no end. Just, that's the reason. Like, right. I I get burned. <laughs> I get it. Easy. Because I Easy. care. Easy. All right. Because I because I care. Old man. man yells at Cloud. He just, he just cares. <laughs> oh, he just cares too much. All right, I let's just, wrap this. I'm sorry. Wrap it. Wrap it up. Sue me because I care. Wrap it up. Wrap it up, people. All right. We're I done. will run low <laughs> fantasy gaming for any BSer one time a month. One shot. Nice. That's fantastic, Cobbs. Thanks Thank for you. the offer. That's very off. Nice man. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to play with Sean. He's terrible. I'm just Got kidding. It. No, that's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we got to wrap this up. Hobbs, um, before we go, anything you want to uh, promote, talk about your Hobbs and Friends, the podcast, anything? So for less than a coffee a month, you can be a patron for gaming and BS, <laughs> and you should do that. <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. So it's Hobbs and Friends, where if somebody wants to find you, Hobbs and Friends, the OSR webpage, or how do you how do we how do we send people to your podcast? HobbsNFriends.com. You can find me on the Twitters at OSRN Hobbs. I have a Facebook group, Hobbs and Friends, MeWe group. Um, yeah. And you can send me an email, Hobbs at HobbsNFriends.com. Sweet. Thanks, man. We good, Sean? Brett, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we're going to talk about skills. Try and try again. A little skill dog battling discussion. Whoa. Yeah. I try again. It'd yeah. be really easy to let your guys re-roll skill checks all the time until they get it. This again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I got a different thing. A little, little bit of that. Anyway, carry on. Thanks, Hobbs, for being on. Cool. Just want to thank Jason Hobbs for Hobbs and Friends. Check out his podcast and where he can find it. Where can they find you on Twitter, man? They already said that. You Did should pay attention. Yeah. I'm not paying attention. Okay, I'm so riled up. Anchor at Random Screed if you want to do that. Give Random, me a call. That's the personal side of Hobbs. That's right. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Brian Kurtz, Ray Otis, Larry Hout, Mark DeSaka, Pira Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValle, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Jim Fitzpatrick, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Anil Diamond, Howard Bishop, Eric Salzweedle, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Andy Hall, David F. Playlog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Brian Rumble, Henry Newcomb, Eric Tavola, Roger Braslett, Mark Soam, Andy Olson, Eric Avia, Ron Blessing, Jeff Seifert, Mike Hess, Angus, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Rory Weston, Curtis Hinson, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Huss Carl, Jason Weeb, Dollar Adventure Frameworks, aka Steve, Jared Rasher, Michael Dinos, Mike, Matt Cyberlick, Chad Glayman, Finolf, Josh Wallace, Corey Welsh, Merkel Froilich, Rich Wishon, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, and Aaron Ralia. Hey, if you've liked what you've heard in this show, Tell one of your players. Have them go to gamingandbs.com forward slash subscribe. We would really appreciate it. Thanks, BSers! This, this has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio production. production.